Welcome back to another episode of Quarren Stream, yet another Sinisnob podcast. My name is Jared Kingery. And I am Cody Viafania. And uh, Cody and I are film critics, if you haven't heard us before. Uh, we have two other podcasts, including the Sinisnob podcast and ReMCU, where we are rewatching the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, this is our show where we talk to people in the entertainment industry about what they're doing during the COVID-19 pandemic and being locked down and not being able to, you know, go out and entertain people. Uh, and our guest returning for his second week, musician, artist, and author, Tommy Siegel. Tommy, welcome back. Hey, hey, hey. Good to be back. So, um, I have been listening to your album, uh, your new album, uh, called another century wasted um you mentioned in the last show it's sort of um accidentally re- relevant now because it's it's a little bit cynical i think you said yeah um, it's a bit um you know it's funny i was trying to steer us away from a dystopian movie because uh it's certainly <laughs> a dystopian record but it's very but it's very upbeat in its sound too like the is that um is that a style that you th- is is that a, a you know sort of a I assume it's a purposeful message that you're kind of relaying stuff that's that is uh, pretty uh, downbeat in a in a very upbeat fashion. Yeah, I mean, I think um, during the Trump era, I guess let's call it, um, I sort of found myself sinking into music that was more about feeling up. Um, And I don't necessarily mean feeling, like, happy, but um, I found myself drawn to a lot of, like, really rhythm-centered music, which, you know, American music typically isn't super complex in the kind of the way that rhythm works as far as American pop music goes. But, uh, yeah, I just found myself really digging into uh, Afrobeat and a lot of South American music, and... um, so the record's not like trying to be an Afrobeat or South American record, but it's more just to say like I got really interested in how polyrhythms work and how um, you can have two rhythms interacting with each other in the same space and it kind of creates a new f- feeling from the combination of the two. So every song has a lot of interacting, interlocking rhythmic pieces. Uh, so it's kind of me trying to apply some polyrhythmic complexities uh that i learned from world music and try and put it into the the context of the sort of songs i was writing that's funny i uh, you using the word polyrhythms because i jared's gonna uh probably flame me for bringing up this reference but i'm a big <laughs> fan of the um adam scott and scott ackerman do podcasts based on bands like they've done a podcast based on u2 and one on um on REM and, and they're currently doing a talking heads podcast. Uh, and, um, and they recently just covered remain in light. Uh, so they go album by album. And there was a lot of talk about exactly what you're talking about. Like the, um, you know, those different beats and, and they use the word polyrhythm like a thousand times to describe a lot of what was going on on that record. Yeah. Well, it's funny uh, that you bring up Remain in Light because, I mean, that was a big record for me growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely had a big brain imprint on me. It's just such a cool album. But uh, I sort of discovered after I made a lot of songs in this record, I was like, this kind of sounds like Remain in Light, but I don't really <laughs> intend for it to yeah. necessarily sound like Remain in Light. And then I was reading actually recently about how Remain in Light was made and it it was very funny to read about it because it made me realize that I accidentally stumbled into the same songwriting process that yeah. they did, which <laughs> is that they were creating loops piece by piece inspired by Afrobeat, essentially. Yeah, exactly. And jamming on it until a song came out. And that's exactly how I wrote my record. So it's like, if you have... My takeaway was like, if you have like a nasal white... A nasal paranoid white guy trying to make something <laughs> Afrobeat, then it just ends up sounding like Remain in Light. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was uh, other than the Afrobeat? Did you have any other specific inspirations for this record? Uh, I was, you know, I can hear some. I can hear the fact that I was listening to a lot of Elvis Costello around that time. I like did a deep dive in Elvis Elvis Costello, and there's there's a few songs where I can I can hear that. And uh, so, where did you record this? Did you record this? Um, 
you you mentioned last episode you've been working on it for for uh, like four or five years now. Did it all get recorded in one session, or did it kind of come together in pieces? It kind of, so it started as um, just recording demos in my apartment, and then later I brought it to a real studio in in Greenpoint in Brooklyn. Uh, but we ended up keeping a lot of what I had recorded in my apartment. So it's kind of this weird mix of stuff recorded on really nice analog gear to studio and stuff I recorded hastily, um, you know, <laughs> at home into my Apogee duet. So it's a weird mix of uh, digital and analog. Uh, and I, I, can, I, can, I can hear that happening on there. <laughs> really? Yeah. Is there is there a particular song that uh, that you like? If we were if you were to to listen to the album as a you know as a listener, which one you, would you say is um, the most obviously recorded at home? Well, I you know digital has upsides and downsides. I mean, like because analog stuff has this real or you know warmth to it generally, um, but digital stuff can really cut and be incredibly powerful in a mix. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I hear it a lot on the lead guitars on the record, uh, which we tried to, you know, do a better version of it in 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 with real gear, but we just couldn't beat it. So a lot of pretty much every guitar solo on the record was just played directly into my computer <laughs> at home. Yeah, uh, when you talk about analog, um, you know, it's it's one of those things that that I don't know that people outside of musicians really uh appreciate anymore i remember talking to uh i I did a i was on a tv show with henry rollins once and uh he talked about like having his old analog masters and having them just like like watching them fall apart and being like there's the there's the guitar track just flaking off (laughs) uh and uh it was uh you know it's it's a strange thing that, that it seems to me that that it you know, people hold on to it so much as someone who's, who's done all this stuff in digital. Like we record this stuff digital. We've never recorded on analog. Um, that would be amazing. An analog analog podcast. podcast? Holy (laughs) shit. That would be what an effort that would take. That would not make any sound like any sound difference at all. Cause people are listening to it on a print every episode to vinyl. <laughs> what a, there has what a to waste. Be, there has to be someone who's doing that. There gotta be. But you know, think about the quadruple vinyls you'd have to get for one episode. <laughs> just flipping it every twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah, that would. Man, that's a great. Like for someone who's like crazy. Like if you were like crazy good <laughs> friends with um, uh, Jack White, who has his own like record press. Like just to be pumping out of a vinyl podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've got to call Scott Ackerman. This is his, this is there you go, it's, Cody. It's funny because there is uh, comedy. The comedy Bang Bang put out a tribute for Harris Whittles that I actually have pre-ordered through Newberry Comics, which is <laughs> a vinyl pressing of podcast appearances. I'm really telling on myself <laughs> wow. right now with this. Yeah, I, wow. I mean, I Harris, Harris Whittles was hilarious. Yeah, um, but uh, that is yeah. a that is a crazy. Uh, that's a crazy good weird idea to have. Yeah, I mean it's it's basically like podcast clips of him that have been, uh, like like broken up and 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 cut out and then pressed to vinyl and um and like limited edition and like all the proceeds are going to like a charity in his name and stuff. It's actually a pretty cool idea. I they've messed up the pressing twice now, so I'm still waiting for a good press of it. But uh, he's been he died like five years ago now, right? It's yeah, been a while. Yeah, been I think while. it was five oh, years wait. this year. Wow. I think my favorite joke of his was about um, something about dogs. Like people talk about dogs being adopted, but then he said something like, well, aren't they all adopted? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I highly recommend anyone to, he did this segment, and I don't, it, this is just promotion of Harris Whittles, but he did this segment on Comedy Bang Bang uh, called Harris's Foam Corner, and it's basically a bunch of, <laughs> uh, a bunch of jokes that he wrote on his phone but never made it to a stand-up set, so it was a lot of like workshop jokes, and and like even his workshop jokes are like the funniest things you've ever seen. And there's like a whole YouTube playlist of his foam corner. It's incredible. You have to check it out sometime. And of course, analyze analyze fish. Mm-hmm. One of the greats. That's a great podcast. Yeah, uh, Jared, do you know about that podcast? I haven't heard that one. No, so, I, I have heard the foam corner. It. Very funny. Yeah. So basically, the whole <laughs> the whole concept of it was that Harris was trying to convince scott ackerman that fish was a good band 
And so they would, and so it was basically Harris trying and failing miserably at getting Scott into fish. And basically the, the premise of the show was as soon as Scott admitted that he liked fish, the podcast was over. And so it ended up like going through all these tracks and taking him to fish shows. It's really, really great. Uh, is that going to, is that on the vinyl too, or is that something else? No, no, no. That's, that's just <laughs> a, a podcast that exists in the ether. Oh, okay. But yeah, gotcha. it's, it's really funny. Well, yeah. So back on to, to analog, um, what, um, you know, if you could record everything on analog, would you? No, no, definitely not. <laughs> I mean, that's a thing. Like I, I, it's useful for some stuff, but, um, I don't know. I'm too much of a, um, I don't know. I, I like tweaking things. Mm-hmm. And with, um, you know, for example, something that drove me crazy about uh, this record <laughs> was my buddy is like, who mixed it. Um, we mixed it together and he's like, he was super into the idea of using a, an analog console, which is great, except for if he, the vocals are like 2 dB too loud or 2 dB too quiet. It's like, tough luck you got to pull it up on the console and spend a few hours getting it to sound similar and then print it out again. Um, so I, I think I'm too much of a, um, a perfectionist for analog at the end of the day, though I do like using it for, for, for some stuff, you know, it's like undeniable that like, you know, running everything through a Neve makes it sound richer and warmer. Did you, did you see Tommy, did you see the sound city documentary? No, I haven't seen that. Okay, so it's basically um, so it's it's a Dave Grohl made it, and it's about the Sound City recording studio and basically how they were basically going to throw out the this Neve console that was like super famous um, for uh, for creating all of these incredible albums, and basically Dave Grohl purchased the Neve console and then made a record with everyone who had recorded at Sound City throughout the years. Uh, right, actually, right. I remember hearing about that. Yeah, it's it's really good, and it actually that Dave Grohl is sort of like the like has the romanticism for analog recording, and like you know he made that album like there's a Foo Fighters album where he he recorded on that same console and stuff like that. But yeah, I think it's it's super interesting to see like the the amount of I, I'm sure recording digitally has so much more ease to to like literally everything, even like punching in stuff has to be so much easier digitally. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm almost not a good person to talk about the distinction between analog and digital because you know I can I can hear the difference and I have friends who are super passionate about it, uh, but for me it's kind of all about the song and if the song is there then it will survive in multiple different formats. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it just will sound good if you record an analog gear, and it'll sound great if you just record it with MIDI drums and hum. So uh, for me, it's like kind of all about the song, and sometimes I have fun with other people who are more passionate about the <laughs> the, the knob twirling, you know? Well, we have, uh, I guess, that sort of thing we encounter with people in, in film, you know, um, right. people wanting to shoot on film as opposed to digital or only wanting to watch a, like a, there's a lot of times where it's like, Oh, there's a 35 millimeter projection of some movie playing at, <laughs> at wherever some art house. And I could just not give a shit because yeah. usually the 35 millimeter prints are so beat up or they don't have the projector set right. And it just, it never, it doesn't look good. And, um, I, yeah. you know, there's a lot of people that romanticize that. And I, I don't understand it cause I don't think it adds anything to the film. Yeah. Especially well, when, yeah, for sure. It reminds uh, me of vinyl, actually, with like <laughs> the way people like. I love vinyl too, and I collect it. You know, mm-hmm. not super aggressively, but um, it's always kind of funny to me when people say like across the board, "No, everything sounds better on vinyl," because it's like, well, it sounds better if you recorded it to tape and it was kind of analog every step of the way and you like the warmth of the vinyl but you know does like you Jesus have a- by Kanye West sound better <laughs> on yeah. vinyl no it was meant for, to be played digitally like really loud that <laughs> that that really speaks to the vinyl because I, I do this I mean I collect vinyl and, and only get 
you know, the stuff that I really love that I want, you know, cause there's something cool. There's something cool about having like the big versions of album art and in, in the liner notes and the lyrics and stuff like that. But for me, I, it, the experience is always me listening to it and, and going, does this really sound better? <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's the whole process of me listening to vinyl. I, and then somehow I've conned myself into creating a vinyl collection. <laughs> well, and then you got to have not just like that. It sounds better. Like you got to have a good amp for it. You gotta not have like a a cheap Crosley. Well, and it has to be in great shape too. I mean, like, cause cause if it's scratched or if there's dust or anything like that, it'll fuck up the way that it sounds. So, like, it has to be in like tip top shape. Like I've like even like slightly warped vinyl is is ruined. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, that people said, talk I... about it in 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 a way that's almost like you're watching it on you know like listening to a record on the the equivalent of an IMAX screen, but in reality, <laughs> yeah. it's more like converting an album you like to VHS, you know? <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, and then, the, 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 those people, <laughs> then there's those people that, uh, that, that still keep VHS movies alive. I don't know if you've encountered any of those people, Tommy, but uh, I have, yeah, a couple of friends who are into that. Like, like they have a huge collection of VHS and it's like, I, they look like shit, man. Like, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it was cool back when I, I mean, I had a huge VHS collection too, but there's no way I'm going back to watch, you know, Scream on a VHS or whatever uh, that you have lying around because it's just this muddy weirdness that, you know, is hard to play. That said, you know, I get that the boxes look cool on a shelf, kind of like, you know, all my records look cool on a shelf, but yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they got to figure out a way to, um, to marry the information economy with um, our our desire to be hoarders of things we love, <laughs> they haven't figured it Rip out yet. For sh- yeah, for sure. Because uh, I mean, nothing made me happier in the early two thousands than having a giant DVD collection. Oh yeah. But now I'm like, well, what am I going to do with these? Like, <laughs> I've got them all digitally, but that's not nearly as satisfying. Um, that reminds me, I have a friend who um, he's you know probably in it, I think he's in his mid fifties or so. Um, he had a ton of mixtapes that he had made and uh, cassette tapes. And I remember going over to his house while he was in the midst of his this giant project where he was converting all of those to digital. <laughs> you can't just make a playlist? <laughs> I don't know, man. It was such a... I was like, what are you doing, man? It's like, no, these are... I listened to these all through you know, high school and college, so I want to keep them. Like, okay, but man, they're going to sound like crap. <laughs> Have you and, heard uh, of... <laughs> There's this amazing service where you can access any song ever made. <laughs> yeah, you can put them together in that same order and everything. Yeah, wow. There's no that's hiss. Devoted. I respect that. I mean, you know, I wouldn't do it. That's his thing. You know, he's he's the type of guy that saves all his concert ticket stubs and. You oh, know, I do that. Even now, when they're like printouts on bar, like barcode printouts. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I have PDFs of everything, and then I, I if, <laughs> if I have the choice, I'm I'm the person who. On Ticketmaster, I'll pay the extra $3 to have hard tickets sent to me. Wow. Yeah. Well, I think that's close to what Tommy was just mentioning about the marrying of hoarding and yeah. uh, information. Yeah, so. absolutely. It's like you print out your ebooks. <laughs> I don't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> Stay um, home together. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's move on to uh, sort of the whole topic of this whole show, Tommy, um, is that we uh, recommended some movies for you to watch last week. Based on what you told us you had been watching here during quarantine. And we kind of came away with um, sci-fi that's not dystopian. And uh, let's let's go over our recommendations. Cody, you recommended... Um, I recommended ahead. A Safety Not Guaranteed, uh, which right. was a real small indie film from 2012 uh, that deals with time travel, but it's more of, you know, like a... Like a character study type thing uh that is certainly not dystopian because i think it's about finding the best part in uh in people who may not appear to be uh well maybe people who are deeper than they seem on the surface so yeah okay mine was uh jupiter ascending a film by the wachowskis um kind of a notoriously um bloated and strange film uh looks beautiful sounds beautiful has amazing production design but kind of a bonkers story um, sort of the last gasp of the Wachowskis, uh, goodwill exhaustion from the Matrix. And uh, so without further ado, Tommy, which one did you pick? I picked Jupiter Ascending. Whoa! 
That is a point for me. Another score on the Jared barely recommending it scale. <laughs> okay, so tell us what did you away, think? You know, <laughs> what did you think of Jupiter Ascending? I mean, I went into it really wanting to like it because I I remember it getting trashed. I remember it being a box office flop. Mm-hmm. But I I'm always excited to see original sci-fi content, like new stories that people mm-hmm. have thought up, and you know it was. I wouldn't say I'm a, a Matrix sequel defender, but I never thought they were quite as bad as everyone else seemed to. Um, so I really wanted to like it. And I remember seeing a bunch of film people like on Twitter being like, no, actually, Jupiter Ascending is amazing <laughs> at some point in the last few years and kind of going like, right. huh, that doesn't seem like possible, but uh, I'll, sure. So anyways, I was kind of seeing it hoping I would be one of those and be like, have this super cool opinion. Um, but no, I mean, I thought it was genuinely terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so hold, hold on, Tommy, because there is a second. I, I mean, I want to fully talk about the movie, but there is a there is a second part to our point system that so far nobody, no guest has. So it's it's you get a point if the person picks the movie, and then you get a second point if the person liked it and would recommend it. And so far, everyone has liked or would recommend it, and we may be on the precipice of something. That has not happened yet, but please and, and continue. To, <laughs> and to be fair, to be fair, most of mine that have been picked and liked have been like just sort of like, yeah, I guess it was fine. <laughs> you, Jared, <laughs> you, you have been tempting fate this entire time. Yeah, <laughs> but let's continue. I'm sorry. Uh, well, I, I I gotta say, I respect I respected the movie and and it because it's totally bonkers, and I admire how hard it goes. At no point is it hedging its bets. Yeah. That's what I would say. What did, I mean, what did you guys think? Uh, I mean, I we I think I believe Cody and I saw it together at a press screening. Mm-hmm. Oh boy! Um, <laughs> and I think we all laughed at the same parts. <laughs> look, um, look, the roller skating in the air scene is fucking hilarious. I don't know. I, there's no way to dice that and make it seem serious. It's really yeah, funny. Yeah, <laughs> if we we'll go back. If you, if you didn't hear the first episode, Channing Tatum is um, plays this character named Kane who is half man, half dog, <laughs> and basically wears space rollerblades, like rocket rollerblades. By the way, I and was trying to think of who, what movie character he reminded me of. I kept kind of watching it being like, who, like, wh- what does he remind me of? And and it was um, today I realized what he reminded me of. It's, um, oh, what is John Candy's character in Spaceballs? Oh, Balls? Barf. Uh, uh, Barf, yeah. Barf, he looks like He's Barf. a mog, yeah. A half man, half dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, where were we at? I'm sorry, I, I lost my train. Always, of thought. Ro- always rollerblading through the. Cosmos. Oh yeah, rollerblading through space. Um, <laughs> yeah. We, so we thought that it was a bad movie, um, but I, I did remember specifically thinking it was a gorgeous movie, like it it. The pr- from a production design standpoint, because there's some stuff in there, like some really stunning visuals. Like I felt like it was something that would make for like a great coffee table book. You know, like you look at those where it's like the, you know, the, the Star Wars designs and, and all these other movies design work. Um, but as a whole, you know, it was a bad movie. I, I But I am fascinated. I'm fascinated that as late as 2015, the Wachowskis were still writing that Matrix Goodwill into making this $200 million just total bonkers original sci-fi concept that bombed so hard. I, you know, watching it, it was so complicated and rushed, like feeling like it was just constantly like almost giving cliff notes. Like you're like kind of how it feels to watch like a Harry Potter movie Mm -hmm. where you're like, you're aware that it's based on something that's much longer. Um, and yeah, I kept thinking like it's crazy that this isn't based on anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a totally original movie um that is like I mean it's it's if it were good, like if it were a good movie, it would be considered visionary. But since it's not, it's just sort of this fascinating flop to me. Uh, Cody, what did you think of it? So I, I haven't seen it since it came out, but I, while you guys were talking, I pulled up my review that I wrote of it uh, back in 2015. Uh, I gave it a C- back in those days. Ooh, you were pretty nice for your standards. <laughs> I kind of was. 
and what, what I what I wrote was that the first half of the movie is all I, I said it I feel I said it feels like it sets a record for the largest amount of expository dialogue in a single film. So apparently, I felt like there was a lot of exposition going on, and um, in that the, the screenplay was repetitive and convoluted. Um, I called it a complete disaster of a film with a lot of unintentional comedy. So I, I, w- I wish I remembered it a little bit better. It's been, you know, five years since I've seen it. But um, I just remember it being like this, like needlessly complicated thing uh, that um, like looked, again, like you said, looked gorgeous, but was completely empty. And also, I don't think it can be understated how weird in, in I my opinion is is really bad Eddie Redmayne performance that is juxtaposed with an Oscar winning <laughs> performance in the same calendar year. Uh, it's 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 certainly a big swing, but man, what a weird weird performance from Eddie Redmayne in this movie. What did you think of Eddie Redmayne, Tommy? Well, yeah, it's funny you say that because I almost thought that he like yes, it's a very campy, ridiculous performance, but he was one of the performances in the movie that I thought sort of matched the tone that I. Th- felt like they were going for which is like the movie just feels like it wants to be completely bananas at all times and mm-hmm. to to his credit i mean that is a completely bananas performance like uh do, do you feel so like I, yeah humor... i don't know I, I i guess i thought he was i i don't know how to really judge anything from this movie but <laughs> i will do you say feel like... his was like notable do you feel like the humor in the movie was intentional or do you feel like they didn't have a pulse on how like absurd a lot of it was i have no idea because some (laughs) of it was very funny right but you weren't sure well i don't think like the you know channing tatum space rollerblading was supposed to be funny ever no but i don't i i legit don't think so wow because there's a scene there's a scene and and i remember specifically cody and i laughing at this where he's like sneaking around and it's just a shot of him like clearly like being skated around yes. like crouching down and i remember laughing my ass off at that but I, I i'm relatively sure that the wachowskis didn't mean for that to be funny i i don't i don't remember it well enough though to know that it was that anything was supposed to be intentionally funny that that you know outside of the the obvious jokes but but maybe i'm maybe i misread it because it was I mean, just because we did laugh a lot. There, there are. Fl- it's weird though because, I, I like I, I oddly respect the movie because it, like I found myself talking to a friend about it, um, mm-hmm. and he's like a sci-fi guy, and he was like, "Should I, well, should I watch it?" And I was like, "Yeah," and then I was like, <laughs> I, "Wait, I don't know, I don't know," um, but it. I don't know. I mean, you're talking about expository dialogue. I mean, one of the other problems of the movie for me would be that no matter how many times they explained stuff, I still had no idea what was happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. But that sounds like, it's almost like that's par for the course for the, uh, what what, were, what did we agree on? Wachowskis is what we're saying here. Um, yeah. Which is that a lot of what they've, what they've sort of made their their bread and butters is being kind of like obtuse in a way that seems like needlessly complicated, I think in a, in a weird way. Um, I know that, um, I haven't seen speed racer. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's another one that's gorgeous, but it's so nonsensical. Right. And I, and 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 that, that's the, that's the whole thing behind cloud Atlas too. Right. I mean, I haven't seen, I never did see, I never did see cloud Atlas, but both of those movies, have a uh, sort of retroactive like like Tommy was mentioning this sort of retroactive oh yeah. like love there's a lot of speed racer apologists out there yeah <laughs> I've got not talked movie to you. reminded me of that you guys uh, hopefully have seen because it's sort of a similar movie um, it reminded me a lot of John Carter yeah yeah um, I we have seen John Carter well I saw John Carter did you see John Carter I did Cody? not see John Carter um I have a, you know, John Carter is an interesting one for me because I don't think it's bad. No, me me neither, but it's bonkers. It's bonkers and it doesn't do, you know, it sucks f- for the movie that it's su- it's based on such old material that it literally has influenced so many sci-fi films throughout the years that it feels like a ripoff. Yeah. 
uh, you know, it feels like something that that is, um, you know, made up of pieces when really it's other stuff that's made of pieces of it. Yeah. Well, like John Carter with Jupiter ascending, I kept finding myself like with John Carter. I remember I watched it on an airplane and I was with my bandmate in Jukebox the Ghost, um, Ben, who's the keyboardist and singer. Mm-hmm. And he saw me watching it. And after I finished, he was like, he was like, should I watch it? And I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, he spends two and a half hours watching it and just takes off his headphones. And it's just like, fuck you, dude. And I, was, I was like, well, I don't know. I just, I felt like you had to see it. And I kind of feel that way about Jupiter Ascending, too. Or like, I, I have a weird soft spot for it, even though I know it's not a great movie like it's bad but you're you're playing right into jared's hand and i don't like the way this is sounding (laughs) well uh, i i uh i i was gonna ask you tommy um and i i thought you might have been mentioning this movie uh but have you ever seen a movie called uh valerian in the city of a thousand planets oh that movie the the trailer also is similar aesthetic to (laughs) this for sure but you never you didn't see it i did not see it okay so it is um from director luke basson um and it is, I, th- I think it's his first sci-fi movie. Am I not? Am I mistaken, Cody? It's his first sci-fi movie since um, Fifth Element. Uh, Fifth Element. Uh, uh, that's probably. I, I mean, if you want to call Lucy a sci-fi. Oh uh, yeah, I hated Lucy. This is. I mean, this terrible. is like pure sci-fi. Lucy was like a, like this is like the same sort of world building as Fifth Element. Even though this is based on a graphic novel, and the Fifth Element wasn't. Um, it's um, it's literally something that is so well put together technically but just has this dullness to it that can't be you know it's such a disappointment because it looks great and um there's this there's this really good scene that i loved did you see this cody i can't remember i did not see valerian so there's this scene where they like they have to go to this black market and they essentially like go to this area, like this this walled off area, and put on VR helmets to like it takes them to like another dimension, and that's where they can shop for stuff and find people. Like they're looking for someone, and it's such a creative, inventive sequence. But it just doesn't. The movie doesn't do anything with it. Like it, it ends up being this sort of just lame thing that sits there and i think you know it doesn't help that it's it stars dane dehan and cara delavine who are both kind of you know flat actors um but it's it's just so devoted to its uh to its look and and its aesthetic and it's it's world building that it's that it's almost enough just to watch that watch it for that um so if you ever if you ever uh, get get the 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 urge to sort of get the John Carter and Jupiter Ascending mood, Tommy, I recommend that one. That, I, I actually that mentioned a trilogy. Yeah, I actually mentioned looking at my review. I actually mentioned Jupiter Ascending and John Carter in uh, in the review. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean it's Luke Besson. If you like the Fifth Element, and I I do like the Fifth Element. Um, you have you uh, you've seen it i assume tommy yes yes um yeah i mean that's another movie that's totally bananas yeah and it but that one works yeah yeah, yeah um totally. i don't think jupiter ascending entirely works i think john carter kind of works and i think valerian kind of works um overall though i don't i think jupiter ascending was just too too murky well um, and it repeats well, the thing that kept bugging me was like you could really summarize the movie as like Mila Kunis's character gets stuck somewhere, and then <laughs> the dog on roller skates like comes against <laughs> her before she has to make a difficult decision. That happens like three times. Yes, in the movie. yeah, I remember that specifically. It was like, why is this same thing keep happening? He's <laughs> yeah, um, just so good at rollerblading. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so ultimately, um, oh boy. what did you, what did you think of it? You know, is it something you'd you'd recommend? Like you said, you recommended it to a friend, and um, but w- overall, was it worth your time? Oh boy! Be very <laughs> careful with this answer because it has great implications. <laughs> and by that, I mean it has no implications at it all. It has just bragging rights. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I don't know. It's kind of like. <sighs> 
I don't. I, I'm trying to think of how to how to put this in a way that's not. Like, it, it, you're trying to put together a gentle something. no. Did you did you take <laughs> off your headphones and go fuck you, dude? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's sort of like, um, you know, being like, what what would breakfast cereal taste like with mustard on it? Like, <laughs> it's like probably bad, but you know, you, you only live once, so you got you should you should try it. That is a weird life philosophy. So <laughs> yo, so uh, YOLO is the is your answer? Yeah, YOLO. It's like yeah, if, if you're a dog owner out there and you've never tried your dog's dog food, like <laughs> give it a try. You know, see what it's like. <laughs> so I'm gonna take that as a recommendation. <laughs> I'm gonna take that as a like, God damn, I, it's hard to argue. <laughs> YOLO. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and Jared right. continues his streak of very. Like non recommendation recommendations. <laughs> I basically just recommended trying dog food <laughs> <laughs> or cereal with mustard. So, yeah. um, moving on to uh, your recommendation, Tommy. It was Ardman Animations, uh, the wrong trousers with uh, featuring Wallace and Gromit. Um, you mentioned that you had been a big fan of that as a kid. Yeah, I was like obsessed with Wallace and Gromit as a child. When we when we say kid, um, how old were you when this was out? Um, let's see, I think it came out in 93, so I would have been eight. I probably didn't see it till I was 10, though. Okay. I was really into Wallace and Gromit, I'm going to say, from, like, 10 to 11. And okay. And had the trilogy on VHS or something. Um, How did you find it? I don't even remember. I Well, I was, I was definitely, I was an animation dork, so I think mm-hmm. I, like was in the video store and saw that there was like this claymation movie and and rented it i think that i remember the first thing i saw by ardman was they put out a collection of shorts and i remember renting that from a blockbuster and it it doesn't have waltz and Gromit on it but it has some of their their primitive stuff from before that like there's one called creature comforts that's pretty funny Mm -hmm. um so yeah i remember getting into it through there actually so um uh, Cody and I, neither of us had seen it, so okay. um, we uh, we watched it. And Cody, what did you think of of it of the wrong trousers? This was so I was looking back and, and seeing like if I had seen any Ardman or Nick Park stuff prior to this, and the only thing that I can really confirm that I've a hundred percent seen is Chicken Run, uh, mm-hmm. which is a movie I really liked um, when I saw it. I mean, I, I think I saw it when it came out, and I was you know 11 years old or something movie's like that. 20 years old now it's crazy yeah wow. yeah it came out in 2000 um and i remember really liking it and really enjoying it um but i but wallace and gromit had kind of uh eluded me a little bit especially and even when i knew that you know curse of the were rabbit was which i believe won an oscar right um and um and, and knew that that was kind of um you know kind of gaining a lot of steam and 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 so I was really unfamiliar with Wallace and Gromit as characters, having obviously heard about them throughout the years. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think the the first thing is to point out is that I, I I really like claymation stuff. I think it's it's really interesting to watch, and I think I have a, a, a certain you know certainly all animation requires a ton of work, but claymation feels it's so you know we we've been talking about like that mix between analog and digital, and, and somehow claymation feels like it kind of like bridges that gap a little bit maybe where you know it's happening analog but it's being projected digitally i don't know maybe that's me well i think technically it's the other way around because it's digital because it's you're doing one thing at a time right anyway right yeah if you if you want to get technical but yeah and i don't so thank you okay but, you're welcome. <laughs> but uh but yeah no and and i and i i really enjoyed the animation elements of all of the uh of all of uh what happens in the wrong trousers and i think to look at it's it's really incredible to look at and um and i really enjoyed uh especially from being from 1993 i mean um the way the way we watched it was a little unorthodox i think but um but uh, I, I think that there, there's certain pieces of it where I was like, okay, I really like the animation of this. Like, like when so when the penguin comes in and, and is like using the tape measure, for example. Yes. I think that's for me like the best piece of animation of all of it, um, and and I really like that whole sequence of events. Um, it's it's more understated than I thought it would be, and I think I I kind of appreciate that because I think the sweet spot of animation for me as now an adult is that like. 
animation that clearly kids would enjoy but also appeals to adults i think that's where a lot of animation kind of lives in that space right now um and uh and maybe through all of time i don't know but uh, well but but now it mostly lives through like references like if you're if you're outside of like um pixar you've got the stuff that just sort of makes adult references yeah yeah like like i for some reason the the thing when you said that is do you remember zootopia which has a lot of like weird adult references in it yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. um but yeah and so i i um i found myself finding it a little bit surprising and occasionally to a certain degree um if i'm gonna say anything negative about it is that it's almost understated to a fault at times where um it's like it's exceedingly movie. it's exceedingly british too it's very british yeah and and as a result kind of dry and in 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 i think the dryness of british humor through animation can sometimes maybe falter and and feel a little you can feel it a little bit more maybe in animation versus live action <laughs> you're bit. like come on where's the transformers <laughs> yeah. yeah where yeah exactly well i mean it had robotic pants so i mean it, that's as close as we're gonna get yeah. to transformers but yeah no I, I i found it enjoyable and um and I, I i kind of wondered if i was missing any wallace and gromit context from any of it like if maybe the relationship between the two was something I, I was missing a little bit but i think that once that it really kicks into gear and kind of the penguin comes into play a little bit it really kind of uh kind of takes off i think it, it takes it maybe takes like five and i mean it's a 30 minute short or a little bit less than that and I think the first five minutes of the whole like birthday kind of thing maybe is a little bit dry, but I think once the penguin kicks into gear and we see what's going on, it becomes pretty fun. Feathers McGraw. Yes. Yeah, Feathers. McGraw. Great name. Indeed. It's a great name. Um, yeah. I, I'm going to agree with Cody. Um, I, I do. I do think it's kind of enjoyable all throughout. Um, one of the things that, that I appreciate about this and the, the claymation aspect is great, but Tommy, I don't know if you've noticed this, but, like this is very handmade, clearly. I mean, it, there, there's a, a ton of intricate prop work, but like when, you know, Wallace's ears sort of flap, you can see fingerprints almost. Oh and, yeah, it's uh, not an almost. Those are yeah, you can see a lot of fingerprints in the movie. It's kind of funny. And and, and sort of the way things are done now, um, is like a lot of armatures have you seen how they've made stuff recently this stop motion animation yeah uh, what, uh, i'm trying to remember what's that uh that portland oregon animation studio like Leica or something yeah like oh, the yeah. Coraline is one that i'm sp- thinking of specifically kubo from and them. the two strings i think was one of their most recent ones right they did they did Coraline too right am i thinking they correctly? did they did um but i remember seeing like production on Coraline and these you know they're dolls essentially that have interchangeable faces and like movable eyes and things. And they have these armatures that hold them up off, you know, like on camera or hold them into their shot. And then they digitally erase them later. And I get it. Like, you know, you use the tools that are there, but it feels like it loses a little bit of its charm. And I mentioned this uh, on our uh, Santos Montano episode. Are you a Muppets fan, Tommy? Absolutely. Okay. Have you ever noticed in the in the modern Muppet movies they digitally erase the little rods that control their arms? Oh man, I know, right? <laughs> and that's the kind of thing that that bugs the shit out of me because it's this art form that has been developed, you know, and, and you know, flaws and all. Like you see the fingerprints on Wallace's ears; that's part of the charm to me. And erasing that digitally later. Uh, or, you know, or, you know, even the arm rods or, you know, the whatever else you're, you're taking, you know, that tells you the Muppet is a puppet. <laughs> That's like the third time I've said that phrase <laughs> by the way. Um, in my life. Um, but uh, it, it's a weird thing to do. And, and I really appreciated seeing that in this movie, seeing the sort of handmade aspect of it. You know, obviously there's some incredible prop work. I think the train is incredible. Um Cody was mentioning the penguin with the, the tape measure. That's an amazing little sequence. Yeah. Um, and then um, the idea that also when you think about this in any kind of animation, the, you know, this may, this may be a, a, a more difficult thing to grasp for something that clearly exists in the real world. You know, these are real things that are, it's not just drawings, uh, but all the sound effects and everything have to be created. Like there's just no sound of a tape measure on the set 
you know, there's no sound of the train on the set. So the the sound design behind it is is really great too. Like the the tape measure really struck me because that's exactly what a tape measure sounds like. Well, you, and everyone you know, knows that something back that struck sound. me on this viewing as an adult was I was surprised how noisy the movie is. Like mm-hmm. I don't know if you noticed that in the last like ten minutes of it, there's like the scene where the robotic pants are clanging around on the pipe and in the museum. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Um, it followed by the train chase, and it's like kind of nerve wrackingly loud, <laughs> like with with just ambient noise. Um, yeah. The the clanging of the like the the pants walking through an air duct. Yes, which is which is it's that's what would really happen, and it's the sound design is so good. Uh, but yeah, it is it is very surprisingly noisy for a movie where only one character talks and he's not even in it that much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So how did this go over in your quarantine pod movie recommendation group? Uh, they all loved it. Um. Yeah, we were, uh, but we were kind of all in the right mood. I think we had, we had just watched something super serious, so it felt like kind of a great palate cleanser. And, uh, you know, I think compared to, like, newer animation, um, I'm not going to say Wallace and Gromit is, like, better, but it, it has that quality of, um, I don't know, I feel like... I feel like I heard somebody say something... Like, uh, like if watching a movie made before 1990 is like meditation, um, <laughs> just the pace of it is so much slower than what we've gotten used to. And yeah. I, I feel that with Wallace and Gromit, with this movie in particular, the next one is kind of at the normal pace of cartoons, but, um, and it's great too, but the wrong trouser is very much, you, you kind of can't believe how slow it is at times. Like you talk about like the birthday scene at the beginning, mm-hmm. like they just, really painstakingly do this detailed breakfast scene with claymation (laughs) and you're kind of like wait why is this clay (laughs) but it's yeah like you're like why are we why are we doing a like why did somebody make a miniature toaster yeah it's kind of like when you watch king of the hill and you're like wait why is this animated (laughs) oh yeah i i still love king of the hill yeah there there is that that uh that attitude about some of those things you're like well why did this why is this an animated movie you just made it look photorealistic yeah um i i thought that with the lion king remake that i i watched that on a plane and it was not um i took my headphones off and was like fuck this (laughs) (laughs) my wife and i watched it at the same time on the plane like we had to start it at the same time and we wrote we watched it as we were coming back from japan so we had a lot of time to kill and uh that was not a good way to do it um so i was gonna also i just want to point out that i do think that this that what that the wrong trousers has maybe the best film twist or at least maybe the funniest uh, that i can think of like that the the reveal of feathers mcgraw is one right. of my favorite uh, and moments. i mean there's just something about that deadpan um like expressionless face of the penguin <laughs> that's so like just so inherently funny like it, it's not it, it's not even like a you know like it, it, it's the difference between british humor and american humor i think you, know, you wouldn't have this like quiet character who who doesn't do you know it, you, the the comic relief would be somebody weird and wacky it's kind of like um uh the old looney tunes cartoon the old uh, foghorn leghorn cartoons if you remember those with the the yeah when there's the like egg-headed kid right the like the smart kid that had a um like was given to foghorn leghorn to like turn into a man or whatever and he's just he says nothing and just like writes stuff out and is really silent the whole is entirely silent the whole time and, and but just gets most of the laughs right um i just don't think you would get that now in an american cartoon no, and you know, and even Ardman didn't really do this again. Like it's sort of a unique pacing for an animated. They, they've done a lot of great stuff, but the wrong trousers sticks in my mind is this weird moment where Nick Park felt liberated enough to make like an incredibly detailed claymation Hitchcock short. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, know it was really um, it was really impressive. Um, with the way it, you know, it was all put together, you know, it's clearly, um, you know, the craftsmanship is, is pretty incredible in the sets and the props and everything. Uh, but then, you know, again, to see the, the, uh, handmade aspect of it 
um, was good. I I, I'd, uh, I was looking up Nick Park earlier, and he was part of uh, Penny on Pee Wee's Playhouse. You might be a little young for that, the two of you, but uh, if you remember the Penny cartoon, it's another claymation thing. It was just like a short with a character that had pennies for eyes. Hmm. Yeah, I was anyway. I was looking at his um, his Wikipedia page too prior to this, and I saw that he was also involved in the Sledgehammer video for uh, the Peter Gabriel Sledgehammer video, doing oh, animation yeah. for that. Kind of a famous video. That makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah, another claymation thing. I always thought claymation was a, a copyrighted term, but apparently it's just sort of a a thing that people say now. Hmm. Maybe it's changed. Uh, anyway, that was a great recommendation. Um, we found it um, on archive.org. I don't know that it's supposed to be there. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's, but, it's uh, internet archives. I think it's fair game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's a lot of fun if you haven't seen it. Um, it made me want to go watch the uh, the rest of them, too. Well, and shit, like, speaking of analog stuff, it's it, the, I don't know what you watched, but I watched a VHS rip of it, and you can see every bit of the VHS experience in it. <laughs> I think I watched a DVD copy. Okay. Anyway um very cool well tommy thanks very much for joining us uh this was a lot of fun it was a blast and um you've got your album out now uh another century wasted it's available on digital wherever you get your music your book i hope this helps comics and cures for the 21st century panic is coming out uh october 6th um that's your your web comics that you did you call them web comics i don't know i don't it seems like it's got a a weird call them whatever they want yeah, I mean, you know. Drawings. It's uh, drawings, <laughs> sure. Let's get down to, let's just take it down to its base level, and it's called drawings. Yeah. Um, you can also follow Tommy, uh, at Tommy Siegel on social media. Uh, for Cody and I, you can uh, find us on our other shows, the Cinesnob Podcast, where we are reviewing uh, new release films right now because of the quarantine. We're watching VOD movies. Also on uh, our other show, ReMCU, rewatching the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Cody, what's your other show? I have a show called The Ramble that's on uh, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays uh, on um, wherever you get podcasts with comedians Jerry Roach and Eddie Pence. And of course, if you uh, listen to the show, and again, you like the format, you like uh, talking about what's there to watch and talking to people in the entertainment biz, we have... 20 other episodes or 21 at this point with lots of comedians and some musicians. Uh, this show has been very fun. And if you like it, leave us a review. Five star rating would be nice wherever you get podcasts or Apple podcasts in particular. Yeah. We were worried about how we were going to continue this. Like, cause when it, when it looked like things were winding down maybe. Yeah. And then like, Oh no, the world still sucks. So well, it's crazy to think about too that we have this is our 22nd episode we're recording and we've been releasing them mostly one a week and just to put that in comparison just seems <laughs> insane Lord. to me <laughs> so tommy how long are you in maine have you been in maine i've i've been in maine for a couple of months now and i'm i'm going to virginia to spend some time with family um next week so i'm kind of is bouncing it, it, around did you have you have ties to maine or was it just somewhere to go I had, a f- I had a friend who was taking care of a family member up here, um, so I just went and joined him, and we kind of have a little uh, quarantine pod in the woods, work from home situation. So I'm in uh, rural Maine, about 45 minutes northwest of Portland. Wow! Oh wow! So you're way up there. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 cool. I mean, I've been doing a lot of camping and just trying to spend as much time as as possible outside. You know. Cool. Uh, well, again, thank you for joining us. You can get Tommy's new album out now. His book comes out next month. Uh, on that note, I am Jared Kingery. And I'm Cody Viafania.